This is the Unity Community of Central Oregon podcast. You know, every time I get the opportunity to introduce a guest speaker, I don't know what I'm going to say until about four minutes. (laughs) About three and a half minutes, usually. And every time I'm sitting there going, what does the world need to hear? What does the world need to know that is going to come through this beloved? And the first time I met William and Becca, it became immediately clear that this was divine masculine coming through and to us. And as someone who expresses as divine feminine, I think it's so important to name this and identify it and celebrate it. Because every time William gets to share with us, that's what I receive. And that's what I get to soak up and (laughs) think on for the next week. So I'm so excited and honored to introduce our guest speaker, William Gregory. It's an honor to be here. And this this is a really, really big subject, and it's becoming hotly debated more and more. And it's remarkable how much we just assume that we have free will. And we go through our day assuming everyone else has free will too. I want to cite some of the people that I researched, and uh, some of these PhDs, one of them is considered a meta-genius. So you have your your geniuses, then you have your genius geniuses, and then you have your meta-geniuses who are on a completely different level. And and so we we assume that we all have free will, and everyone else does too. And uh, we take that for granted. And we'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute, but our entire justice penal system is based on everyone's doing everything on purpose. And if they don't do, if they do something we don't want them to do, they should be punished for that. And, and that's an interesting subject. But I, I would like to talk a little bit about what do we know? Because, you know, we, we think we know how everything works, and, and we take a lot of that for granted. And we have all these new studies from super string theory and quantum mechanics. And mathematically, here's, here's one illustration of how much we don't know. You know, mathematics, they say, is the truest form of language. It's what you can count on. And in this room right now, we're sitting in chairs. You know, you can touch the person next to you. Mathematically, nothing ever touches. Just to illustrate this for one second, if I put my hands here, I can divide the space between my hands in half, and I could divide that in half, and I could divide that in half, and my hands will touch. Mathematically, you can divide something in half infinitely. Right now, we're sitting and our heart's beating on its own. Our bodies are breathing on their own. We did not create our bodies. They were spun up, and and we inhabit them, but we didn't create them. We can eat a ham and cheese sandwich, and our body will turn that into toenails and eyelids (laughs) of no conscious effort of our own. We don't know where we go when we dream. We don't, science has proven that most of everything, or most of matter is made up of empty space. We don't understand how gravity works. Scientists are looking out in space and they say it's made up mostly of dark matter. We don't know what dark matter is. 
There is so much about our reality we don't even understand. Science has learned a lot, we're continuing to learn, but there's so much we don't understand. So we're gonna start here with consciousness, which is really interesting, because uh, there's been lots of studies on consciousness. You know, what is this looking out from behind these eyes? What's, what's hearing these sounds? What is consciousness? And, and there are degrees of consciousness. They can't find the source of consciousness. We can't study to find out what that is and how it works. They're beginning to think that consciousness is ubiquitous, that you don't even need the synapses of a brain for there to be conscious, which, which makes me remember of, of the old, old teachings that everything has consciousness. Birds, trees, even rocks have frequencies. They have consciousness, even if we may not be able to recognize that. Um, so they're saying now that for experience, so there was a time they debated consciousness. They don't even debate consciousness anymore because how can you debate anything without having some sort of consciousness? It, it's, it would be a no thing. It would be nobody talking to nobody, like the tree falling in the forest. If a tree falls in the forest and it's not posted on Facebook, does it make a sound? <laughs> so we're beyond even trying to understand what consciousness is. Every time they pin it down, it escapes. So we all have this blessing of, we live in a reality of consciousness, which is more definite than even the reality of substance and actual hard matter. And then we come to this idea, which is also being debated, is do we have a self? You know, I, I've, before I researched this, I never really thought about it. And one illustration that Sam Harris uses is that let's say I lost my keys. I don't lose my keys near as much as I did, but I've died a thousand deaths losing my keys. I always want to be one of those people that never lost their keys. I know those people, but I've never been one. But imagine I, imagine I lose my keys. Well, the first thing I'm thinking, like, I lost my keys. Where did I put my keys? Trying to think, talking to myself, you know, did I leave them there? Did I, you know, and sometimes cussing and being angry at myself for losing my keys. The question is, who am I talking to as I'm doing this? I'm talking to myself all day. Who's doing the talking? Which one is myself? When, when we're babies, we're looking out of our eyes. We, we see our mom, you know, we see our family. We think, well, that's you. I must be me. You know, we, we assume these things and we place selfhood on that. But we don't even really understand selfhood. In fact, Sam Harris, the metagenius, argues that perhaps we don't even have a selfhood. Which brings us to the concept of determinism. And, uh, and this is really interesting because as they're mapping the brain, you know, they're seeing the brain make choices. And Nico, is there a chance you could play that short video? We have a two-minute video, and this is done on the study of Benjamin Labette. And uh, Bob Dylan Haynes has taken the study a lot further, and they're mapping out minds. And, uh, and, and they've even, they're, they say they're even going to be able to develop the technology to show on a screen what someone's dreaming by mapping out the activity of the mind. It's brilliant stuff, it blows my mind. But we have a two minute video we'd, I'd like to share. And um, this was, he did his first research on, on mapping the mind with MRI technology. Put your hand in front of you and flex your wrist. You presumably first had a thought. Flex my wrist. That then caused your wrist to move. That's how it seems. But Benjamin Libet's experiments in the 1980s have cast some doubt on that. 
In his neuroscience lab, he wired up subjects to an EEG machine measuring brain activity via electrodes on their scalps and then asked them to choose to perform a simple hand movement when they felt like it. He also got them to record the time at which they made a conscious decision to move their hands. Disconcertingly, he found evidence of brain activity initiating the movement hundreds of milliseconds before the conscious decision was reported. In other words, his experiments seemed to show that the conscious decision didn't cause the movement. The brain activity bringing about movement started before the individual willed anything to happen. Some people think this is proof that free will is an illusion, that our conscious decisions are more like reports on what is already happening than the causes of our action. Libet didn't go that far. He thought that we might not have free will, but there's still time for what some have called free won't, a conscious veto of an action that is started in the brain. Others are more skeptical about the implications of these experiments. They point out difficulties of recording the time of a subjective decision to move and question whether Libet's findings could apply to more complex conscious decisions based on reasons, such as the decision to reject the claim that Libet's experiments undermine our idea of free will. clip because I really like the animation. Um, and it's simple, but, but there have been many studies since the 80s that have shown through MRI imaging that a decision is made before we consciously realize it. The idea of determinism is that we are an amalgamation of everything we've ever experienced, from our culture to our religion to our parents to what we learn through the media. And when we make decisions, our brain just goes out and finds varying little bits of information and then makes a decision for us based on our past, that we seldom see a moment or make a decision of where we are right now. It's just an amalgamation. And this has led to uh, some really interesting things. They did a study in Britain, and, and this study's been done more than once, I'm just citing the one in Britain, where 88% of the violent offenders had had brain traumas as children, had experienced direct violence as children. And also with women, it was a the percentage was a little lower, but the women incarcerated for violent crimes and for crimes had suffered brain traumas and violence as children. Which brings up the fact that are these people being violent of their own free will? Or are they just an amalgamation of children who grew up with little support, with abuse, with violence, who went up just to repeat that program. There was another study done on brain tumors and how brain tumors affect behavior. And one of the ones I read about was a man in his 40s who was a school teacher and lived a really good life, and then started to become demented and violent. Later on, they found he had a brain tumor at the base of his skull. And they removed the brain tumor and he became a, his normal self again. And the question was, was it of his own free will at 45 to start becoming, you know, violent and a criminal? Was that his own free will? Think about this too. You know, we're all amalgamations of our childhood. We're all a product of the media and the experiences we have. How many of our decisions are we making just, as you could say, as an NPC, which for anyone who doesn't know is a non-player character in video games. You have, let's say you're playing Mario Brothers, and, and you're playing Mario in there. Well, Mario's playing against these other computer-generated characters that are just doing their thing. And, and I look at my life, 
And um, I could see how I was totally just a computer-generated character carrying out the programs that I was taught. I grew up in a really small, cultish, fear-based religion. I was afraid, I was taught to be afraid of the outside world. You know, I live in this really small community. You know, I was told not to listen to music from other cultures, that everything from the world was dangerous. And fortunately, I had a near-death experience which completely broke my program and I was discovering life again for the first time. And like many people do who come out of conservative religions, I went from um, praying every day and reading my Bible to a total 180 of what's out there in the world. And I'll never forget, um, I went to Burning Man. And Burning Man is a giant festival made up of thousands of house parties. Okay? And so I'm at this house party and I'm listening to the song and I, I'm really digging it. And I asked the DJ, a lot of the house parties have their own DJs. It's like, DJs aren't just famous people, there's a lot of just ordinary people who DJ. And I didn't know that either, but I'm listening to this song, and I asked the DJ, what is this song? And he says, this is Dr. Dre. And I'm like, wow, Dr. Dre, this is really cool. And, and he's looking at me like I'm from another planet, like how could you not know who Dr. Dre is? And so I, the next house party I went to, I went up to the DJ and I said, have you heard of a guy called Dr. Dre? <laughs> and I just saw his whole face light up. And he's like, yeah, can I play you some Dr. Dre? Yeah, I want to hear some Dr. Dre. And it just continually blow, blew my mind how everybody knew of this person, but I didn't because the box that I had as my program was so small. The fear I carried around me of outside people and outside situations kept me in such a small box. And I feel so blessed that I got to get out of that box. And, and I'm still getting out of that box. And think about this too. You know, we punish ourselves with guilt and shame from the mistakes that we've made. And Sam Harris talks about this. Now, Sam Harris, the metagenius, does not believe in free will at all not even a tiny, tiny bit. And if he did, he couldn't talk about it because it would ruin his career to talk about a spiritual level above what we're talking about. You know, he, he would be exiled from all his academic communities. But he, he talked about this, one of the saddest things about believing in free will is we hold ourselves so accountable for the mistakes we make. That we grew up in a complex society in complex times and have deep-seated fears and shame and guilt, and we'll think about mistakes we made and punish ourselves as though we did that on purpose. You know, imagine a man who's in prison right now, who's punishing himself, who grew up in a violent neighborhood and committed a crime, and feels like he's responsible for that. Like he woke up one day and decided to go knock off a liquor store and shoot an innocent bystander, when actually all he was doing was acting out the program he was given. There's, there's a lot of shame and guilt we hold for ourselves. And then also taking things personally of others. I mean, driving down the road and there's the aggro rage dude behind you in the big truck. And you didn't get over fast enough. And as he drives by, he's flipping you off. And you look at that and you take it personal. Instead of just seeing someone who's living out their bad programming. You know, so much of what we do is being like an NPC character. We're just, we're just living out an unconscious life. Um, a point I would like to make is that uh, waking up is a choice. That there's a whole other level. Like with a the video, there was a decision made before the person consciously knew it. 
meaning there's a whole other level to us that's above what we may be operating on right now. There's a whole other level of consciousness that is accessible to us. And it's happened so many times, countless times, people have had a moment where they see their lives brand new. A moment where they break out of their programming and begin to think about their belief systems. Um, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, and, and this is all, I mean, unity is all about this. All about looking within. We call it going into the silence. Some people call it meditation. There's a, an author called Peter, excuse me, Peter McWilliams. And reading his books set a new paradigm for, for me. Peter's no longer on the planet. I want to say as a matter of principle, Peter, wherever you out there, thank you so much. One of the exercises in waking up, in breaking out of our programs, in examining our life and having compassion for ourselves and others, his exercise was to go to a mirror. So imagine you're in front of a mirror. And one thing that's interesting about this, when I first did this exercise, I went to a mirror and I had a really hard time looking into my own eyes. I had a really hard time even looking at myself. I spent most of my time feeling like I was not good enough, I was never going to be good enough, that I was somehow defective and didn't fit in. It took, it took a lot of spiritual work just to be able to look at myself in the eyes with any kind of charm and acceptance. And in this exercise, which I encourage you to do, and, and according to Peter, this exercise will turn on a subconscious program that will begin bringing up the things that we need to heal and let go of. The exercise is to look at oneself in the mirror, down into the pupil of our eyes, which is called the window of our soul, and say to ourselves, I want to live. I want to live. I want to live. I want to live. And metaphysically, this brings up a program of our subconscious mind bringing up what's in our way of living, what's in our way of truly being ourselves, what beliefs are we holding. The greatest adventure of all times is not out there. The most significant journey we can make is not out there. It's in here. The principles of unity the principles of spirituality is not chasing things out there. I remember I thought if I could get the right house, buy the right things, have the right job, drive the right car, I would be happy. And it's an endless chase for nothing. The beginning of our vast, creative, adventurous journey starts in here in examining ourselves, our own conversations, our own beliefs, so many of my beliefs were based in fear, and I'm still unwriting these, but I've come far enough that I can have a charm in my heart. I, I can be lighthearted. I can see charm in the world. That, that was not available, it, and that's available for us all, but it begins in here, and, and it's a choice. It's a choice. I, um, one of my favorite things to do in the whole world is to recite poetry to people, and, and I want to recite one right now. I, I saw this one in a dream. One of my hardest things with my poetry was it would just come to me. It, and, and it was hard for me to claim authorship of it because I didn't sit down and write it. So this is a dream, and I believe I called it a sojourn. Titles are kind of dumb. It just is a thing. But um, it occurred in a dream. Swept away, traveling through darkened clouds, swirling gray, Noticing off in the shadows, out in the distance, three nymphs laughing boisterously, beckoning to me. 
Their names would be Prophet, Power, and Property, and I was eager to join their fray. I dove down into the shadows, penetrating the darkness. As I drew closely in the dim light, I began to see their rich red lips becoming pale and thin, their purling, enchanting smiles growing jagged and gray, their eyes morphing from entreating straight into vicious maliciousness. Fingernails growing long and sharp, turning and giving me chase, thrashing, slashing, biting, gnashing, thirsting for my blood, seeking my very soul, stricken with panic, paralyzed with fear, searching down deep into the recesses of my memory for anything I can find that is impervious to shadow three things come to me. Ideas or concepts, they would be love, truth, integrity. Uttering these three words out loud, a beam of light rips through my darkness, and I'm staring intently into the brightest brightness of this light, saying, take me there, I wish to go there, and then there becomes here, and I'm in this room of iridescent liquid light. A voice emanates from this light, and she says to me, child of humanity, the first thing you must understand, the only true power you possess is your consciousness. But before you may manifest this infinite power of consciousness, you must become conscious. So wake up, sweetheart, and remember who you are. And I'm inviting you to do the same. <laughs> that we are so much more than our programming. That life is calling us forth to write a new story for ourselves. And in this act of examining our beliefs, in this act of watching our minds, in this act of meditation and evoking these things, we're exercising our free will. They will never be able to prove that there is no free will, period. They will never be able to prove that there's not free will. If I decide that I have free will and take an active part in the thoughts I think, in the choices I make, then I become my own free will but it's something we make a conscious decision to do or not to do. We're creating heaven or hell right now unconsciously. And in this time right now, especially, this, the story of our culture, the memes that we have are changing. We're writing a new culture right now. And what we choose to write for ourselves harmonically and sympathetically goes out to everyone else. Are we writing an inner culture of compassion and kindness first for ourselves than others? In my opinion, there's nothing more worthy than that. There's nothing more worthy to do than to pay attention to our, our, our minds and our thoughts and weed out the belief systems that are disempowering. Weed out the thoughts that make us feel less than. And then to intentionally think thoughts that make us feel empowered, that make us feel we can to rewrite what we think is possible, and to rewrite what we think is impossible. Life is calling this forth from us now, and, and we're worthy of it. But to, to just the beginning is just to realize it's possible, and, and to forgive others for, for living out a program they're not even conscious of. It's an honor to be here today. It's an honor to talk about this, and um, I wish you all the best. Thank you.